I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Raj Punjabi, head of identity content at HuffPost. And I'm Noah Michelson, head of HuffPost Personal. Welcome to Am I Doing It Wrong? The show that explores the all too human anxieties we have about trying to get our lives right. Raj, it is almost the new year, Mm -hmm. which means people are feverishly writing down their resolutions, figuring out how they can be better people in 2024. Are you one of those people? I am most certainly not. (laughs) My favorite thing to say on January 1st is new year, same shit, because I feel like it's too much pressure with the resolutions. Not really my jam. Uh, It's not when I do my life audit. Um, But, you know, any time of the year, I'm, I'm willing to to think about how I can better myself a little bit. I like that too. Sometimes I choose my birthday Mm -hmm. as the time that I take stock of where I'm at and what I want to change because New Year's, even though I don't, I think any day, an arbitrary day is actually great. Yeah. One person who's maybe doesn't need to do any of this, (laughs) she probably wouldn't say that, but she's already pretty impressive just as is, is Robin Arzone. She is the vice president of fitness programming and a head instructor at Peloton, which is where I think most people know her from. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, she's also a two-time New York Times bestselling author, and she just released a self-empowerment journal entitled Welcome Hustler. And she's the founder of Swagger Society, uh, the first lifestyle membership club in Web3. She's basically just out there killing it every single day, New Year's Day or not. Man. And we got her. I need to do better. She's going to come chat with us about how we can make big life changes or or tiny ones way better than we have been. I love that. Let's do it. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. So we were really excited about having you on the show because you talk about making big life changes and small life changes all the time. It's really just part of who you are. 
But you also have a great origin story about how you transitioned from being a lawyer into being a fitness ex- expert and then everything that came with that. Tell us a little bit about how that happened and why you made that change. Oh, I love this is like, I love talking about this. Um, so I think big life changes are made of really small ones. I, I think it's both, mm. right? Both and. I am intoxicated by the fact that we have lots of pivots and inflection points behind us and ahead of us. One of my biggest inflection points, um, happened to me, not because of me. Um, but then I kind of took it and I literally ran with it. I guess I'll start in two parts. Um, first that I am a reformed corporate lawyer. Uh, I used to be a corporate litigator and I guess the biggest change that I really owned was that career change. But the seeds of that were in the second part of my story, which is what happened to me, which was being Sugar warning for your audience is a sensitive topic, but which was being held at gunpoint when I was in my senior year at NYU. And that trauma and being being a trauma survivor created a new narrative in me that I didn't know existed. And then I kind of took that pen and I said, what story am I writing? Am I going to be a victim or will I be victorious despite what's happened? And I think no matter what level of... um trauma or heartache or stuff, you know, this doesn't need to be the the trauma Olympics where we're comparing my, my stuff is bigger and more intense than your stuff. We all have stuff and we have to decide what we're going to do with that stuff. And in that, that like really is where those seeds are planted or where success can germinate. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> Oh my God, yeah. It definitely does. It definitely Absolutely. does. We're, we're both taking yeah, it in right yeah, now. Exactly. It's extremely powerful. Um, now, where you are now, you've made it your business to help people make big changes in their lives. Um, all types of different big changes. So my first question is, what are some ways of identifying that it's time to make a change in your life? Oh, uh, well, I do believe that feeling stuck or feeling like you're in a plateau can always be reframed as a launching pad. But we have to be able to understand when we're feeling stuck or whether that whether it's just growth. Because I actually think passion can often feel mm-hmm. like frustration. When you're in that space of feel when you're in the thick of working on something, we can relate to like, uh, it just feels frustrating. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. I, I really love the idea that we tune into that internal conversation for long enough and trust it long enough or trust it deeply enough that um, we know when we need to pivot. I don't believe that pivoting is failure. I actually, I'm so, I'm a very goal oriented, ambitious person, but um, if I, if I would have thought of leaving law as a failure, um, I think the subsequent decisions that I made would have had a very different energy to them. They would have had a desperation mm-hmm. to them that I don't think that they did. I think that they had boldness and, and, and a healthy appetite for risk. But if I would have said I'm a failure because X, Y, Z, and I told myself that story, I think we have to be really wary of that because we become the stories that we tell ourselves. Um, so how do you decide when you're ready for the pivot. I th- I love the the tools in, in my toolkit that I go to when I'm trying to suss that out are namely um, journaling, vision boarding, um, and running and movement. Those are the three things that mm-hmm. bring me back to myself. Sometimes one tool isn't working in the moment and I move to the next tool, right? So it's not a science. I would say it's more of an art. Um, and my preferred, I guess tool or artistic tool is, is sweat. Like I I say, 
that I paint and sweat for me. Um, movement is kind of what I'm bringing of service to the world. And I never feel more like myself than when I put on heavier weight on the barbell or when I run consistently or when, you know, that movement practice is central to who I am, not just because obviously that's what I do professionally, but it is the core of who I am. And every important relationship decision, every um, business decision that I, that I've made since becoming an athlete has sat atop that floor of movement. What is the first step we should make when we have looked inside and been like, okay, something needs to change. Any first step. I mean, that's an annoying mm. answer because it's not like this is a prescriptive, da, da, da. Um, you know, the path to success, how we define success is circuitous. It is not this ABC. And we know that intuitively, but when we're in it and the the progress is invisible, it's it can yeah. be really disheartening to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but progress is often invisible. Like, the the yeah. the scaffold to the next level is probably really boring. You know, I think about yeah. the you know LeBron, the Beyonces, the you know, insert whoever you admire here. They have had thousands of boring moments that, that we don't see. So take any step. And this is what I like to do. I like I dream a lot. I, as I mentioned, I journal, I vision board, and that's the fun. Like, where would I want to be? You know, you are just. Playing the imagination game that we so freely did as kids, and I encourage folks to do as as adults. But even if you're not, even if your your career is super like ones and zeros, you are in the spreadsheets. You, the, the creative pursuit of that dreaming, I call them dreamscapes, um, is is a worthwhile pursuit. And who do you want to be, and how you how do you want to feel when you get there in that experience, in that achievement, in that environment, in that home with your new boyfriend, you know, with your boyfriend, whatever it is. So I say, do the dreamscape and then what action verbs, what, what verbs are you going to put on your calendar? This is where the action piece, cause we get that dopamine hit when we tell, you know, when we tell somebody on social media, when you text your friend, cause of course, you know, they're a real friend, a real champion. They're like, yes, queen, you are the most amazing. And you're like, Ooh, I am, mm-hmm. I am. And, but you got to ride that wave. <laughs> you have to ride that wave to action. Yeah. And it's, it's accountability it, it, too. It's putting it in the calendar. It's sending the email. And I mean, right then and there, take a micro action. Um, and mm. then you build on that and you build on that and you build on that. And then you start to get a little bit of momentum and you're like, oh, I'm in it. But you haven't reached what experts call the messy middle, right? There's always the middle, whether it's the middle of the week, middle of the year, there's always that middle, middle of the race for anyone who's run a marathon, you know, like you're in the middle, you're at mile 16, 10 miles feels far away. Um, but you probably had some mojo at mile 11 or mile 13 and you obviously use this as an analogy for any goal. That invisible progress feels really slow. It is no longer on our timeline. Um, and I say that, you know, talk, anticipate that messy middle, anticipate that feeling mm-hmm. that, that, so to, that January vibe, so to speak, and, or February when most people fall off and analyze the roadblocks. I actually advise that somebody write themselves a letter in anticipation of that messy middle, the day you don't do the run, the day you don't order, buy the right groceries, the day you don't, you're not, whatever the goal is and give yourself grace. But also that's a, you know, that's a specific call to action from you to you. And that is a, mm-hmm. you're, it feels, some, it can feel weird, like writing the quote letter to yourself. But when you read it in that time, you're like, I knew I was going to be in this moment. And now I have the choice of what I'm going to do with this information. 
with this version of myself. We talked a little bit about, ironically, letter writing in our episode about anxiety. And I do think um, most people shy away from supporting themselves in that way. It feels silly or indulgent to some people, but I think uh, being as good a friend to yourself as you are to other people, your loved ones, is something we could all stand to be better at. Yeah, Yeah, and also it doesn't have to be like, a quote unquote woo woo letter to yourself. Yeah. You could put things in that letter that are, you know, concrete steps that you want to remind yourself to yes. take or concrete support yeah. systems that you have that you need to remember. So like there are so many ways to write that letter. And I think that's such a good idea. I mean, I have written slay bitch in red lipstick on my mirror, like so <laughs> many times when I need to get up and work out in the middle of like icy, frigid mm-hmm. February, whatever it is you need. I think it's important to ask yourself and be honest with yourself, right? Like, yeah. what do you well, need? You, you both drawing on or highlighting the, the the parallels between what we're talking about today and tackling anxiety. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm no expert in that regard specifically related to mental health, but they are so intricately and intertwined. And I say that action is an antidote to anxiety. Focus is an Mm -hmm. antidote to fear. When you can narrow your scope of vision, focus on something that, that, that makes you feel dynamic and buoyant. When you pair that with some action, any action, literally anything, (laughs) anything that is moving the needle, even if you're like, Oh, this isn't going to do anything. Just taking that action gets you out of that loop, right? I call it like yeah. the avalanche. It gets you out of that avalanche where it's like, oh, well, I didn't work out today, so I might as well order the Uber Eats and I didn't do that, so I might as well stay up till midnight. And then before you know it, it's been three days, three weeks, three months where you're not living as your best self. And I like try to break the chain. When I'm doing that, I try to break the chain. It's interesting too. I had an essay that I edited recently for HuffPost by this man whose wife died after 45 years. And it's a heartbreaking essay. And he talks about how she was the one who sort of always took care of them. And when she was dying, she knew that when she died, he was going to be frozen and he wasn't going to be able to move forward. And so the thing she said to him and the thing that sort of haunted him in the best possible way was she said, just do one thing at a time. Think of the first thing you're going to do after I die and do that thing. Then think of the next thing and then the next thing. And he basically said like he, you know, made a life preserver out of the things he was doing and just kept moving forward because he thought of what she said. So I think it's like you said, in the messy middle that works, but also when you're just starting. Mm Yeah. And sometimes two big changes happen to us. Like you said, sometimes it's not something we choose. Sometimes someone dies or we're faced with a health challenge and we suddenly have to show up for ways in ways for ourselves and other people that we didn't expect we were going to have to. Yeah. And we need these tools for those moments mm-hmm. too. Definitely. And you did mention journaling, which I would love for you to just get into for a couple of minutes, if you would. Um, What is it about journaling that helps people make and stick to their big life changes? Mm -hmm. I think journaling is such a fun tool because it doesn't... Well, first of all, I thought I was bad at journaling, which is funny because I just came out with a journal, Welcome Hustler, an empowerment journal infused with my mantras and questions and the life audit that I did for myself when I was a lawyer transitioning careers. But I thought I was bad at journaling because I thought it had to look a certain way and I thought it had to be in a certain voice. Like back in the day, mm-hmm. I think I thought it had to be like, Dear Diary, in the voice of like a Bridgerton, you know, Shonda <laughs> Rhimes was like yeah. writing my yeah. my journal entries. And when I when I started writing as myself, when I started allowing it to look like 
bullets or chicken scratch or pictures or whatever, it became much, it became cathartic in the way that it's supposed to be. The utility presented itself. I started journaling in earnest. I had a 10 minute a day rule when I was a lawyer and I was in the midst of, in the throes of billable hours and lots of corporate mumbo jumbo. And I didn't feel like my life was my own, that my time was my own. I mean, I was literally living in six minute increments, billable billed to corporate clients. And I set a 10 minute recurring calendar appointment every single morning before the partners in my law firm were there. And it was in those 10 minutes that I started to journal. And initially it was literally on a legal notepad, just writing like, what would I do for pleasure? What brings me joy? What could I do Sunday for five minutes? that would bring me joy. And then I just started to like build on that and build on that. And I realized, wow, I've, I've, I've planted these seeds with the runs and movement. And that was a two year iterative process. That was two years of 10 minutes a day truly just planting seeds, Google searches. What does an editor at a magazine do? Like I literally had no idea, but journaling became such an important tool for me. And I think it's an important tool for everyone, no matter what stage of life they're in, because it allows us to speak to ourselves, which are, you know, that conversation that we have with ourselves is the most important conversation we're going to ever going to have. And I think it does it in, I mean, studies show that actually putting pen to paper, you know, we process things in a different way. Um, our body and our brain process things in a different way, but also it's this less self-conscious way of communicating. Uh, And once you get in a rhythm and I recommend folks literally set a timer for two minutes and just put pen to paper. It doesn't need you define what consistency looks like, right? It doesn't need to be that dear diary. You've just narrated your entire day. And it's this one hour thing that you need to do at 5am, like a, like a Ben Franklin scribe or something, right? Like we decide what that, what this looks like. Um, and I do recommend, um, that folks use a journal like welcome hustler that has prompts. If the blank page is intimidating, um, and set a timer for two minutes and just see what comes up. Um, and you'd be, you'd be surprised. Sometimes you get in a flow and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, I don't even want to stop. And, and that, and the problem becomes the opposite problem where you're, you don't have enough time in the day to do it. I think that for that reason, for those reasons, journaling is such an immense tool. I like the idea too of journaling, not just being for setting goals, which it can be a great thing for, or for figuring yourself out, but also just like unloading some of the noise in your head. Sometimes, like you said, that actual physical process of moving your hand over the page or typing or whatever it is, like you just get to download some Mm. of that crap in your head Mm -hmm. and get it out. Yeah. I also want to talk about consistency because you are about to launch your three for 31 challenge, which I know you first started it in 2012, I think, and you're doing it again. You did it last year. And basically you are going to move. You're going to run three miles every day for yes. December. And number one, I love that because you didn't pick January to do it. You're like, I'm going to do it in December when there's so much other stuff going on. Maybe you've decided you're going to take that month off to like, you know, eat all the Christmas cookies you want and watch all the Hallmark movies you (laughs) want. But you're like, no, like this is the month I'm going to pick and I'm going to show up for myself every day. Talk about consistency Mm -hmm. and why you chose this month, this way to do it and how that helps propel us Oh my gosh. So the three for 31 challenge runs from December 1st to December 31st. I've been doing it for 11 years. Oh my gosh. Thousands of folks have joined by now. And it is such a cool, um, it is a love letter to yourself. I think choosing to, so the, 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 the challenge is either three miles a day on foot, walk, jog, run, combination of the two. You can break it up 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the afternoon, 10 minutes during your lunch hour, whatever it is. I mean, lunch hour, who gets a lunch hour? But you know, in in theory. Um, (laughs) And then the second, we expanded it. because Some folks were like, oh, I'm not really a runner, but I'd love to participate. So now it's either those three miles on foot 
or 30 minutes of movement. And the same principle applies. Is it 10, a 10 minute core class in the morning, 10 minute yoga class at night? I mean, this is cobbling together 30 minutes in a 24 hour period every day from December 1st to December 31st, traditionally the busiest time of year for a lot of folks, lots of holidays, you know, people are off, people, caregivers are busy, especially if their kids aren't in school. So it's, um, it is a really robust time of year and you prove to yourself that you can do it. If you can do that for 31 days, then how dare you tell yourself you can't during other seasons of your life? And I think it sets us up to establish what the starting line is before the year even begins. For me, Mm. January 1st is just another day because I've been doing it. I stay ready, (laughs) you know, and I want Mm. folks to get a glimpse of that because when I say, I say three for 31 is a love letter to yourself because doing something for yourself even when it's hard, especially when it's hard for 31 days is sh- is really, really a testament to your tenacity. And that will serve you in every other area of your life. Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Am I Doing It Wrong? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So Raj, tell me, how is your social battery right now? You know, today it's pretty high and vibrant, but it varies day to day. That makes total sense because it's super easy to ignore our social battery and spread ourselves too thin especially with social gatherings picking up after the winter. Truly. Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. For me, therapy has been illuminating. Just to be able to process day-to-day anxieties has helped me so much. I kind of wish that for everyone. Well, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash doing it wrong today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash doing it wrong. Welcome back to Am I Doing It Wrong? I, I have to keep this going because I do something called 25 Days of Gyms Miss, where I make sure that I'm in physically in the gym in December for 25 days, any 25 days. I try to get in before Christmas, but like shit happens. But um, my my whole thing is because I'm not I'm one day would love to be where you are, like athletically and just like motivationally in life. But for me, 
even if I just step into the gym and I do some light stretching or I run a you know yes. little mile or whatever, I just need to physically be in the gym. I need to be around people that are also working on this beautiful like journey toward the better self. I want to be around people like that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about accountability. How do we ask for support? What kind of accountability do we need? You know, when we're either we're doing our gym thing or anything else that requires some help. Yeah, starting a new job, moving somewhere, like all of it. Proclaim what you need to the stakeholders in your life. Let's clean out the fridge of stuff that's going to tempt me. Let's make it harder to make the wrong choice. Asking your neighbor, can you watch my kid for 30 minutes? I'll do the same for you because I'm trying to hop on this Peloton bike. You know, like the, we have to ask, We we I learned this. As an ultra marathoner, uh, when you're running ultra marathons, you often have a crew that will be there to support you, give you water, goose, gel, you know, wherever it is, because you might be out there 12 hours, 24 hours or more in some of these races. And I learned um, in having my family crew me that they are not my readers. They have no idea what I'm going to want at mile 25. They have no idea that at mile 30, I really wanted a pickle versus a PB and J, you know, and it's an absurd (laughs) thing to expect from someone. And so that same principle applies in other areas and be as specific as possible. And, you know, and then in turn, you're starting this conversation loop where you can really, really be a trusted advocate and critic. And I say critic because you also want folks in your life that are going to be like, Hey, you told me you were going to do this thing. I don't see you doing it. Right. Um, I think that 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 actually can come from really from a place of love when it's in the right context. I was just going to ask, like, how do we also address or deal with that vulnerability that comes along with asking someone to support you in that way? I feel like it's such an intimate thing. And there's so there could be shame that creeps in if someone tries to help you and you feel like you can't achieve something. I mean, what's your what's your take on that? I think of asking for help as a superpower. Um, I don't accept help easily, but in my first postpartum period with Athena, my daughter, who's two and a half, you know, it was the throes of COVID very different times, but it was, it was tough. And then with my son, I said, I am going to delegate where I can. I am going to resource financially where I am able. And I am not martyring myself to motherhood. I am going to, I'm accepting all the help. Even I'm going to request Mm. help that I don't even know if I need. I'm just going to have y'all on standby. It was a very, very different experience. And it came from the vulnerability, yes, of saying, no, I can't do it all. And I don't want to. And, you know, when, when we're, especially when we're leaning into new skill sets, when it's not our area of expertise, like, why is it okay to get a trainer or a therapist, but it wouldn't be okay mm-hmm. to ask for help in other scenarios, right? So, like, let's mm-hmm. just totally normalize um, leaning on our, our community members for their level of expertise and then offer up, be like, you know what? I have become kind of good at this. Like, let me be the person in the friend group that helps you with this. And that is such a cool way for us to engage in community. And, um, you know, my experience with that really centers or I've, I've been part of the same burning man camp for almost for over 12 years. And that's how we rock, you know, it's 30 of us. And it's like, I'm really good at this sign me up. I'm really good at this. Sign me up. And somehow all of our skill sets m- meld together. And now when we're having life experiences of kids and career change and moving and the, the good stuff and the bad stuff, we kind of are able to, you know, marry these skill sets. And I, it, we, we can, we can normalize that on a much broader scale. 
And when there's that trust, it just feels good to love and be loved, to help and be helped. You yeah. Know? I also love this idea, too, of reconceptualizing what success looks like, what support looks like, mm-hmm. and and realizing, like, I think so often so many of us feel like we do have to shoulder everything ourselves. And if we don't, then we're failures. And it's like, no, actually, we're at a different place now, I think, especially post-COVID, too. Yeah. Like, we're all learning or relearning how to be human beings. And yeah. a lot of that is about community. This also makes me think about how you have reconceptualized discomfort. You have this great line. I want to read it. It's on your Swagger Society site. And you say, it's never going to feel easy. You're going to feel uncomfortable, but you're going to develop a relationship with discomfort that will serve you for the rest of your life. And I love that idea that you should sometimes lean into that discomfort because actually that's going to serve you in a way that comfort never would. Talk to us more about that idea. I look at discomfort as a companion. Not like no pain, no gain, just like kill yourself, like figure, like kill yourself and you're at the throes of, you know, the mercy of discomfort. It's a companion Mm. in that, you know, it's in the car with you. Like you're in the driver's seat, but these things that I used to, um, I guess fear are now companions and they are catalysts. You know, the friction is needed for the expansion. I look at, I look at the comfort zone a little bit differently than I think some folks. I look at my comfort zone. I try to expand my comfort zone to include discomfort. Like my comfort Mm. zone is so expansive that it includes the physical training for a hundred mile ultra marathon. It's not that each of those moments are comfortable. It's that my comfort zone, my willingness, my curiosity is includes that. So that is Mm -hmm. in the work I do. And, and, and the, platforms that I partner with, whether it is Swagger Society, a lifestyle membership club, or whether it's Peloton or whether it's anything else, I want it to include an expansive view of comfort that includes getting uncomfortable. Because within that, I think, framework, we are going to reach our next level. And Mm -hmm. that um, willingness it's like a muscle, right? So like that willingness to continue showing up and continue pushing the edges and exploring the edges. Um, that is where, I mean, that's what it's all about. And maybe too, it is again, back to that idea of taking one step forward. So when I got to HuffPost, I started 12 years ago. And um, this is such a crazy story. And I don't, Basically, I had an astrology reading in October of 2009, and the astrologer told me that I was going to be really unhappy for two years. But in June of 2011, I could have any job I wanted. He said, if you get a phone call, take that job. And I was miserable for two years. And June 6, 2011, I get a call from HuffPost. And they said, do you want to come start the first mainstream queer website? And I thought, no. That is too scary. And I told them, no, I turned down the interview. And then I remembered that astrologer. And again, I'm not saying people need to go see astrology. You know, I'm not saying even that I believe what happened happened. But what happened is that I I said, you know what? This scares the shit out of me, but I'm going to go to that interview. I can always turn it down. And so like that was my one step towards something new. And again, I was like, I'm very comfortable in this other job. Even though I hate it, I know how to do it. I know all the mm-hmm. people here, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do one thing to, to have my discomfort come through. And I did. And that led to the next thing and the next thing. And here I am 12 years later. So yeah. I think sometimes it's just that one thing after another, and it's not letting discomfort be the thing that you think is going to be a hallmark of the rest of your life. It's temporary. Yeah. 
I also hear Robin really telling us to just have our experiences, whatever they look like, because I am one to jump toward like uncomfortable things sometimes now, but I am at my grown age of 39. I've had so many experiences where like fuck shit up and I, you know, was really good at other things. So now I'm like, okay, this could be terrible, but it also could be really, really fun. Yeah. Right. Um, And I want to know from you, Robin. Were there moments when you felt like you weren't going to make it or that you straight up failed at something along the way? Because I think we all look at you and we see this powerhouse. <laughs> I want to know the dirty, the dirty things. Oh in my between. gosh, so yeah. many. When I left law and I was doing the vision boards and I was in this like I gave my I knew how much financial runway I had. So I did give myself permission for that year to to play, to pitch, to just put myself out there. And I was, I love fashion. I love, I believe that we look good for victory. And I wanted, athleisure, believe it or not, was like not a thing yet. And I wanted to come out with a leggings line and I hired designers and I was going to go to Asia and get fabric. And I was, but I was also creating my book proposal for my first book, Shut Up and Run. You know, I was, I was, (laughs) I had, there's a point where the side hustle you have two, you're really splitting yourself to, you're diluting yourself too much. Right. And, and I had to realize that there was, if I'm trying to like architect this new career in wellness and become a fashion designer, when I don't have a skill set in either, I was spread too thin in a way that was not realistic. So I, so I, I, even though I had, I lost money on this leggings line on this new burgeoning fashion career, and or side hustle, I should say. And I felt it felt like a bigger failure than leaving law. Because that was the first project, not only that was mine financially, but that felt like it had my imprint creatively. Um, and I was letting down the fashion designers that I, you know, had said this next year, this is gonna be our thing. Nah, nah, nah. And that took me a while to reframe as an appropriate pivot. And now I realize, my gosh, thank goodness, because I would have never had mm-hmm. the mental or physical, frankly, aptitude, like ability to see Peloton for what it was. I probably would gloss right by it. And that, you know, obviously has been a massive part of my last decade. Yeah. You know what I love to do? It makes me feel so good is watching documentaries about famous people mm-hmm. because there are so many moments throughout their lives where they just fuck shit up. Yeah. There is a new one on the four supermodels from the late 80s, early mm-hmm. 90s. I think it's on Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Cindy, Linda, Christy, Naomi. And it's so good because you see it was not a linear path for any of them. I love that. There were so many moments for them. And if you don't care about supermodels, pick anyone else that you look up to. And yeah. I promise, like you were saying earlier, Robin, like the Beyonce's, the Le- LeBron's, yeah. like they've had setbacks too. And when you see that, I think it makes it much more easy to be like, I'm going to fuck up and it's going to yep. be okay. Yeah. I treat Beyonce as homecoming uh, documentary, the the live concert. Yes. Like it's like Bible scripture. Like I, I quote from it. I watch it a lot. I study it because there's so many vulnerable moments in it and so many moments of triumph. And to see someone you revere as a human, it's like a hug yes. for yourself. Mm. You're so right. Superheroes are real. But in that lore of like the superhero world, there is always that flaw that makes them a little bit more relatable. And um, that's why I say that the vulnerability of asking for help is actually a strength and it is a gift. If you've ever done something for someone, you you are excited to be able to be of service so in that way. Good. It, feels it feels so, so good. good to be needed. That is actually a gift to the loved ones in our lives when we can accept that help. Yeah, completely. 
I think there might be times when we make a big life change, whatever it is, and then we miss parts of our old life or we wonder, you know, should I have done this? What do you think about those moments, Robin? How should we approach those? How do we deal with those? How do we come back from those? What should oh, we do? Yeah. Um, so I have, I've recently been in, in a very, in that space, right? I'm postpartum with my second um, on the eve of, you know, getting back to full cylinders of like all the projects and all the things that I do and the many hats that I wear as an executive, as a writer, as a um, creator. And I had a period where, you know, I was doing the journaling, I was doing the vision boards and I'm like, there's nothing new here. Like I am, do I have, mm. am I out of ideas? Like, is it a wrap for me? And then when you add that to perhaps folks in the peanut gallery or folks in your, you know, where you're like, Oh, but you already done this. You've already done that. You already had a book. You had a new time seller. Like you already had this job, girl, what is kick back? You have to, you know, and it's the noise. Um, and mm. sometimes that, that aspect of success is actually not great. Right. Like I don't think we often talk about that is that you get to a certain level and then there are either expectations for your next step or expectations that you're just going to stay in that lane, that you're never going to be more mm-hmm. expansive. You're never going to grow. And I so firmly believe in the both and, and the, um, the mantra that I started developing recently as I'm kind of starting now sleeping more and kind of getting back to like, more of a full human, um, is I'm not done yet. Like that is my mantra. I'm not done yet. Like when I lace up, when I put pen to paper, when I'm having strategy meetings with my team, when I'm, you know, making my initial playlist to get back at Peloton, I'm not done yet. And nobody's going to tell me when I'm done. And nobody's going to tell me I'm not in my lane because I'm an eight lane highway. And so Mm. that I think is the energy that we need to put beyond behind it. And the exploration, I think is pretty similar to what we discussed before of like, what tool can you use to unpack that internal conversation um, and dial down the noise and amplify the whispers that are yearning to become roars. I love I'm not done yet. It reminds me, I uh, my dad is 76 and every single time I hang with him, he's like doing something new. He's taking up painting <laughs> or he's trying photography and like, can't nobody tell him <laughs> shit. Yeah. Like it, retirement is a brand new adventure for him. And I mean, he seems to have blocked out any noise that would make him feel like he's supposed to be like kicking back and relaxing right now. I think some people hear some of the stuff that we're talking about and think like, that's kind of corny or that's woo woo. That's not me. And I will say like the way that I met you, quote unquote, met you, my boyfriend laughs because he's like, what did you do yesterday? And I'm like, oh, I worked out with Robin or whatever. He's like, you don't know these people. And I'm like, I know, but it feels like I do. Anyways, I remember one of the first classes I took on Peloton was a strength class with you. And you asked the class, like something about like, what are we doing? And we were supposed to respond that we were building empires, right? Like old Noah was like, that is so not me. That is so corny. And I was doing whatever exercise and I heard myself say out loud in my living room, I'm building empires. And I was like, whoa, like what just happened here? (laughs) And so like, I think that you don't have to like buy, quote unquote, buy into all of this Mm -hmm. for, for it to make sense or for it to work. But what do you say to people who are listening and they're like, eh, that's not Hmm. for me? Well, I do encourage curiosity over judgment, generally speaking. I try to, Mm -hmm. for for myself, when I'm experiencing that kind of like, I don't, you you know, that, that visceral, like that's not for me. Um, I try things on for size. Like I literally 
try things on. Like, I'm just trying on this jacket. Isn't that for me? Okay, great. Leave, leave what doesn't work. Listen, if, if there's a placebo effect and it made me believe, I would rather put energy into belief rather than worry. And then you have to marry it with action, right? Like there's still the to-do list. There's still the schedule. They're still hiring and delegating the right team. They're still figuring out the business plan. They're still going into the pitch meeting prepared. That is still writing down what the yes looks like and working your ass off. Mm -hmm. But that all that other stuff, why not feel good at the, when you can along the way, I choose that joy is my birthright. And I encourage folks to join me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so ultimately, uh, what do you want people to take away from your story in particular? We are always owning the pen to the story that we're writing. I believe that I was put on this earth to light fires. And I want people to know that it just takes one match to light a fire. Like you are a self-generating fire starter and you're always, always architecting your next level. Robin, thank you so it's much so for doing this with us. It was it was great. Like I'm ready to go out and get a new job <laughs> and have a baby and, <laughs> buy, and a, a baby. buy a pony. Yeah, exactly. That's a lot. I will eat popcorn and watch you do that. Okay. <laughs> well, thank y'all for having me. This is such a lovely chat. Yeah. It was wonderful. Thank you. Good luck with your three by 31 and have a good, happy holiday. You too, y'all. Thank you. And now it's time for Better in Five. These are your five biggest takeaways from this episode. All right, number one, if you're feeling stuck or frustrated, that might be a sign that it's time to make a big change. Take stock of where you're at and where you want to be and just listen to yourself. Number two, take that first step. No matter how small it is, do something concrete, get going, and then see where you go. Mm -hmm. And number three, Redefine your relationship with discomfort. Like Robin, make it a companion that you can learn from. Number four, don't be afraid to ask for help. Amen. And number five, even the most successful people fail sometimes. Titans are humans too. It's what we do with that failure that matters the most. Okay, Noah, so after this amazing conversation with Robin, I do want to ask you about one thing in particular that stuck out to me. Mm. It's making room for discomfort, making room for chaos. And uh, I want you to share that horrific little story that you told me last week. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I've been thinking about life changes because I just moved in with my boyfriend in October and we found our dream apartment, but it turned out it was infested with roaches. Mm. And when I say infested, I mean like in every drawer, living in the freezer, like things I'd never just heard of before. Yeah. <laughs> totally disrespectful. And I am someone who really fixates on what I think is going to be the outcome of something. And when that doesn't happen, it feels really bad for me. So that resonated with me too, because I suddenly, I literally had to make room for discomfort and for roaches, or I wasn't going to be able to fix the situation. And the next step for me was start looking for other apartments, go and visit them, sign a new lease, move again. And it's like that thing we said, just do the next thing and you can get through it. And you found a beautiful place. And I found a beautiful place. And you're okay. And it's even better than the first apartment would have been. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there are so many things I learned from this episode that really when you put them into practice actually can help make things better. It really is about perspective. Like at least there weren't bed bugs, right? Like I, I, this is where I'm going after this wonderful conversation. I want to shift my perspective to be like, this won't break me. 
we're going to be all right. And the other thing too, is that my boyfriend and I, we came through it together. We had to problem solve together. We had Mm -hmm. to lean on each other. I actually think our relationship is that much stronger. I would never want to go through this again. I Mm -hmm. would never wish a roach infested apartment on anyone. Well, there are some people I would wish it on, but in general, I think like we're better off for it. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. Until next time, as long as there are things to get wrong, Raj and I will be right here to help you do them better. Mm, We love you. Do you have something you think you're doing wrong? Email us at amidoingitwrong at huffpost.com and let us know. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more. Only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.